Cable news, noisy, boring, out of touch. That's why Salem News Channel is different. We keep you in the know. Streaming 24-7 for free. Home to the greatest collection of conservative voices like Dennis Prager, Jay Sekulow, Mike Gallagher, and more. Salem News Channel is unfiltered and unapologetic. Watch anytime, on any screen at snc.tv and local now channel 525 welcome back to the seth leapson show 602-508-0960 uh for those of you that have signed up we're looking forward to uh, cigar night uh tomorrow night with uh, dennis prager what do we have like maybe two or three tickets left maybe four at the most check them out 960thepatriot.com we're keeping it deliberately small so everyone has a chance to interface with him I have asked uh, you folks if uh, who will be attending, if you or if you're not attending, and and you want me to report on it afterwards, if you'd like uh, a certain question for me to um, ask of him that you would like me to ask him, uh, feel free to call me with that uh, today or tomorrow, uh, or email me. Uh, there is um, I've got a couple uh, questions that a few of you have sent to me that I will be bringing up, and uh, you'll have opportunities to ask him questions as well. I don't know if you heard his show today. Um, he had talked, uh, spent about an hour talking about uh, the passing of his dog, Otto, which is always a very sad thing. He has two dogs, I guess, um, Snoopy and Otto, and Otto uh, slipped uh, the surly bonds of earth over the weekend, and uh, he was talking a little bit about that, or a lot of bit about that, and I had been in touch with his wife, Susan, on it too. I Whenever someone loses a, a dog, I, I send them two things, usually. Um, and I'm always, always uncertain as to whether they want it or not. They tend to say yes afterwards. But uh, whenever someone loses a pet, a beloved pet, I usually send them uh, the famous, uh, maybe it's not famous anymore, but the famous uh, rendering of uh, a poem Jimmy Stewart wrote about the passing of his dog, Bo, that he did on The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson. Uh, it's a tearjerker, and uh, also a poem by Rudyard Kipling uh, about uh, what it means to uh, lose a dog. Why do we Why do we give our hearts for a dog to tear? Uh, anyway, uh, looking forward to that tomorrow. Uh, David uh, brought up uh, David Dahl, my producer, brought up an interesting point uh, that hasn't gotten enough attention, probably, about the. Uh, the uh, re-election announcement of Joe Biden uh, from yesterday, uh, which is, uh, yeah, it's not only Joe Biden, it's also Kamala Harris. There was a lot of speculation, first, whether Joe Biden would run, and then, second, whether he would keep Kamala Harris. Um, Interesting story over at Fox. Biden's staffers rushed to give Kamala Harris a popularity facelift after the 2024 announcement because her um, her approval ratings are so dang low uh, in the 30s and she can't seem to help herself. And it's not going well, it doesn't seem to me. Uh, here was her audio yesterday doing her best to cheer up the crowd and sound proud to be part of the Biden ticket. Just check this out. So I think it's very important as you have heard from so many incredible leaders, for us at every moment in time, and certainly this one, to see the moment 
in time in which we exist and are present. <laughs> this is just, this is, this is worse than Michelle Obama's The Light Within You stuff. She just, we just, we just listen to them say nothingness, nothingness. And um, it's not as if she has to. She knows how to read a teleprompter if she wants to. The question I have is, is this what people are feeding into the teleprompter? And if so, would you please stop it? We're not that dumb. The other interesting point, David, you made, or I don't know if you made it or not, but I'll take it, is if you go to the Joe Biden website, yeah, Kamala Harris is prominent. I noticed this in 2016. Uh, Excuse me. Sorry. 2020. And 20. Yeah. In 2020, I noticed this, that the the prominence of Kamala Harris on the website is in an odd place. If you go to JoeBiden.com, usually, usually the presidential candidate is on the left and the vice presidential candidate is on the right in that we're a society that reads left to right. Usually you see the president first and then the vice president. I noticed this in 2020 and I see it again here. The vice president is first and then the president. It's an odd thing for those that have a little bit more attunement to these kinds of these things. You know, you take a look at this. Why is Kamala Harris first? Why is the vice president first? Boy, they will just sneak this uh, this wokeness in wherever and however subtly, however subtly they can. And, um, well, I'm attuned to it. And they've inherited a problem with her because she is terrible, but they can't get rid of her. They just can't um, because they invited the problem onto themselves. I had invited Doug from Carefree who raised a uh, interesting question earlier in the show to call back just because we had another guest in the way. Doug, I'm glad you did. Thank you, sir. Do you want to recast uh, your question or your observation or your thoughts for us? Sure. Uh, uh, you're very welcome, and thanks for having me again. You bet. Uh, basically, I, I asked, um, you know, if you you can uh, vote yourself into socialism, but you typically have to shoot your way out of it, um, is a national divorce a less, you know, violent, toxic, whatever yeah. the euphemism you want to use, right. way of doing it. And my own opinion is it's nonsensical because we all live next to one another, so a right. national divorce wouldn't work unless you were the Gestapo and you <laughs> put people on. Yeah. Now, I, I'm ethnically a Jew, so don't take this the wrong way, but if you put people on train cars and move them to the, red, the, the, to the blue states, yeah. I just don't think it's practical. And, and, and I, don't, I don't want to give up on this beautiful experiment right, 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 in right. constitutional right. republicanism. No, it, it comes with a certain sadness to even think that way. Obviously, and, you know, you served our country in uniform, as you were mentioning earlier, so that, you know, we would always be um, one nation under God. And before we get to the issue of national divorce, just think of the word divorce for a moment. I mean, we know how destructive divorces can be in in family settings. It's the destruction of a small civilization, a divorce. Uh, it's, it's It's a highly lamentable, regrettable, destructive thing. Uh, think about it as a national issue. I I don't know what it what it looks like um, unless there is going to be some kind of new 
found respect for, you know, a Tenth Amendment kind of philosophy where states like Florida or Texas or Tennessee or Arkansas or Alabama and maybe, God willing, Arizona will be given more and more latitude to engage in, you know, red state type philosophies or conservative philosophies and people can move there. Um, that's what it's looking like right now. People fleeing places like California and New York. I, I can't fully tell just yet how many people fleeing California understand why they're fleeing California. Seems like people fleeing New York understand why they're fleeing New York and try not to seem not to be taking their uh, social philosophies with them. I'm not so sure that's the case with California. There seems to be a disconnect as to why they leave and why they want to leave. Um, but I, I, I just, I just think that all of these problems, all of these problems, are solved by politics. You know, we wouldn't have, for example, Doug, a border problem if we didn't have. A political problem, which is if we didn't have Democrats running the show, running the White House, we wouldn't have or the Congress. In other words, <clears throat> when we Republicans, if we Republicans can engage in an overwhelming victory where we not only win the House, but we win the Senate and the presidency, the talk of national divorce will, will be unnecessary, it seems to me. What am I missing here? Well, I I, um, I harken back to 1984, and Yuri Berezov. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know who you mean. Yeah, yeah. I don't know how you say um, it, but I know and, exactly who you mean. Brez. Yeah, I won't try it, but I know who and, you mean. And, and former KGB, right. and he had five things that the left and the commies were doing. Right. And basically, we've gotten to the point of the demoralization right. stage. Right. And right, the right is demoralized. Yep. And. So there's a federal law that encourages audits of elections. Okay, you wouldn't know that because every time someone talks about auditing an election, they get called a right-wing Nazi stormtrooper, anti-democratic. You know, the, end of democracy. Let, let me take the commercial the break. Yeah, let, let me take the commercial break. Stay with me, Doug. Stay stay with me. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show, 602-508-0960. Good work, uh, David. Um, when I made that point about the oddity of Kamala Harris being on the left of Joe Biden on their campaign website and on their, I guess, posters or emblemology, it's just not something you do. You put the president first and the vice president second, I guess, unless you're pushing the intersectional thing. And David did some quick research. I guess in 1984, I had forgotten about this, if I ever knew it. In 1984, there was a uh, Reagan-Bush re-election uh, poster that was rejected ultimately because it had Bush on the left. It had Bush the vice president first, leading uh, ultimately to the iconic 1984 Reagan re-election poster and typeface. Thank you, David. Well done. Well done. We're talking with Doug, uh, Doug and Carefree, about this concept of national divorce uh, and uh, Yuri Besmanov is his name, Doug. Yuri Besmanov, I think that's how you say it, the former KGB agent who's uh, 
video has been uh, widely going viral for some years now. And you had mentioned the five phases um, that he describes to undermine a society. The first is demoralization. Uh, the second is destabilization. The third is crisis. And the fourth is the normalization of that crisis. And you were thinking you, that we're in uh, the first step, the demoralization step. I don't know, man. I, I think sometimes we're put we, – we, we just fast forward to the crisis step and the attempted normalization of that. It seems like everything's a crisis all the time, uh, whether it was uh, the riots of 2020 or the, or the COVID stuff of 2020. I mean, it just seem, everything seems to be constant crisis industrial complex here. But um, – Anyway, Doug, yes, you were also mentioning that it's increasingly difficult to even raise certain issues without being labeled or libeled as some kind of uh, throwback to uh, fascism or or uh, a threat to the Constitution when you raise uh, objections or raise uh, issues of abnormalizations of laws. And particularly uh, that was true and has been true with uh, the questioning of the 2020 election. Uh, what I thought our task was, uh, leading up to January 6th, I thought our task was, should have been, to point out that Democrats have done this routinely. Um, I don't know if you ever saw, did you ever see the uh, uh, Michael Moore movie, Fahrenheit 911 or Fahrenheit 911? Uh, no, I did not. If you watch it, and I, it was awful and terrible, but if you watch it, it opens up with a scene from 2001 in the House of Representatives with Democrat after Democrat after Democrat standing up uh, and uh, raising objections of the declaration of uh, the Bush-Cheney victory, challenging uh, the state's uh, certification of the electoral votes, the very kinds of things that um, Ted Cruz and Josh Hawley were doing up until January 6th. And uh, just it was it was it was shown as a celebration as, you know, Democrats were proud to challenge the election and the validity and the legitimacy of the Bush Cheney election. And I thought it was our job too to point out that Barbara Boxer, the famous California senator, did this um, did this in 2004 with the reelection of George W. Bush, uh, objecting uh, in that case to the Ohio delegation's electoral count. So <clears throat> what Democrats had normalized became all of a sudden abnormal for Republicans to do in the mainstream media's eyes. And then, of course, I think the the the, the violence of January 6th changed all that. And uh, just kind of undercut the credibility of, of questioning some of this stuff the way Ted Cruz and Josh Hawley were trying to do it. But, you know, onward we go uh, and, and do the best we can. I mean, I, I've been encouraged by, by a few signs here and there. You know, I, I'm asked all the time if Arizona is a purple state. I'm not so sure. I don't know what your sense of it is. Um, I'm not so sure it's a purple state. I mean, we took back a congressional delegation majority. We were, we were, uh, we were five four uh, Democrat uh, until until uh, 2022 until last year's elections, and now we're we're five four Republican, and I, that seems to me a good sign that we just need to build off of and 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 you know run better campaigns. I don't know. What's your thought? Well, unfortunately, all five stages have been put into action. Okay. Not just demoralization. Okay. Oh, okay. Okay. I misheard you. I misunderstood you. Okay. Well, no, I mean, I started off with uh, with 
demoralization because most people psychologically, you know, a lot of it. we all suffer from, yeah. well, we all suffer from normalcy bias. And so nobody wants to think that you're in the middle of a political, you know, revolution right. that wants to turn you into a, essentially a, a debt slave, you know, and, you know, ruled by a kleptocracy. Right. You know, commander-in-chief is the biggest grifter that I've seen, you know. I mean, the guy has made tens of millions of dollars grifting off his, you know, political life. And and seemingly from and so, one of our worst enemies, communist China. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, um, Schweitzer's book, um, yep. Red-Handed, Peter I think Peter Schweitzer, yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. A uh, very good book, yep. and details it, and it's 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 both sides. It's the Uniparty, yeah, you know, and and so basically, so normalcy bias keeps you, you know, even if your life sucks, normalcy bias will keep you there because you're comfortable, and change is uncomfortable, and and something seems too bad to be true too i mean people don't want to admit how bad this is they just don't want to admit how corrupt it is or how much influence china has here they just don't want to admit to it it seems too bad to be true right well uh, yes and so months ago maybe even a year ago we talked about the uh smith munt act and in 2013 the smith munt modernization act was passed which essentially eliminated the Smith-Munt restrictions of the federal government, you know, using psychological operations against the American public. You know, so now you have the State Department, Global Engagement Center, messaging into the United States for political purposes. You have, and I know, I know they said they didn't stand it up, but within Homeland Security, I'm sure if you did a search on the budget somewhere, there's someone in there that's doing... Uh, psychological operations against the U.S. citizens, you know. What do you um, think a disinformation board is? Well, exactly, but but they said they didn't stand it up. And I'm saying, bullcrap, they did. They just called it something else. There's a budget line somewhere in there, and they're doing it, okay? I mean, okay, all the money that went to the social media titans from the the different federal agencies they didn't just pull that out of their wallet they can't that came no well i well i i you know i think i think what what we were saying the segment prior doug is is that these these are problems with political solutions and if if we could run a little bit of the field which we have done before where we can have the congress and the presidency we can solve these problems but i think the democrats feel very drunk with power and I think they will try and get away. I mean, I think those disinformation boards were an amazing violation that I was shocked to see the media go along with, as I was with their interference with social media, as I was with the Hunter Biden laptop story. These are political problems that I am hoping we wake enough people up to so that we never have them again. But we got to win to do it. Threats to our financial freedom and stability are growing. China, Russia, India, Brazil, and Saudi Arabia are conducting international trade in local currencies, not the U.S. dollar. 
Rising interest rates and bad loans are exposing the banking system and causing failures. The Biden administration sends hundreds of billions abroad while depleting our strategic oil reserves and ignoring crumbling infrastructure here. However, the biggest financial threat may be coming from within. Central bank digital currency is real. The patents have been filed, and the big banks have released plans for implementation. The veterans at Midas Gold Group see devastating implications. The end of cash, the end of financial privacy, big government able to see your every purchase. Could there be ties to social credit? Own private currency, gold and silver. Now, get free silver just for asking Midas Gold Group how you can use your retirement to own physical gold. Call the Midas Gold Group today at 480-360-3000. That's 480-360-3000. Or visit them online at MidasGoldGroup.com. That's MidasGoldGroup.com. On uh, Joe Biden's re-election announcement, their um, their campaign slogan is finish the job. You're going to hear them doing a lot of that. Let's finish the job. Let's finish the job. Our friends at uh, Issues and Insights have given us the template for what to talk about when it comes to finishing the job. What are the accomplishments of the Joe Biden administration? Three tr- $3 trillion added to the national debt so far. Long Term deficits boosted by $5.45 trillion. Inflationary spiral. Real wages falling. 4.4 million people dropping out of the labor force. Left Americans and weapons behind after a disastrous withdrawal from Afghanistan. Evacuated four U.S. embassies. Sparked a U.S. military recruiting crisis. Weakened U.S. standing abroad, created a self-imposed energy crisis, repeatedly exceeded executive authority, massively increased government dependency, and unleashed an unprecedented illegal immigration crisis. Just the beginning. We could talk about so much more. A recent AP poll found that 70% of the public thinks the country is headed in the wrong direction, which is higher than it was during most of the COVID lockdowns in 2020. Do you remember how miserable we were in 2020? Do you remember what a terrible time it was? It wasn't as bad as 74%, which it is today, thinking we're headed in the wrong direction. Just 30% of this country thinks the economy is doing well, which is down from 46% a year ago and 67% from January of 2020. Biden is so unpopular that 73% of the public doesn't want him to run again, including 52% of Democrats. Consider that. Majority of Democrats don't want their sitting U.S. president to run again. So how does Biden campaign for re-election? He has little to brag about that the public will believe. Every time he is out public on the campaign trail, he risks exposing just how frail he's become. Every time he answers a reporter's question, he increases the odds that he will say something catastrophically stupid. Perhaps he thinks he can run another basement campaign and just keep shouting MAGA extremists. Maybe he figures the media and the press will do the campaigning for him. Maybe that's a safe bet. Perhaps he and his inner circle might think another crisis will come along to help rescue him. I think about that point alone, 
with regard to Russia and Ukraine and how he began the year using his State of the Union when Russia invaded Ukraine to rally the country around a freedom principle. But what was so odd about it was it was an attempt to rally this country about another country's freedom and his guarantees with how crushing his policies would be towards the invading Russian army, which it has not been. Another failure. Another failure. Biden's best chances might be that he's betting on the Republicans to do what they can do best from time to time, which is blow a golden opportunity. Let's not give him that, please. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. David, you pointed out to me uh, earlier that uh, the House of Representatives uh, yesterday voted um, voted a statement in favor of uh, support of the U.S.-Israel relationship and the Abraham Accords on the occasion of the 75th anniversary of Israel's founding. And um, 18 Democrats voted against the resolution. 18 Democrats voted against it. Uh, Cory Bush, uh, others you might know, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, Ilan Omar, Ayanna Presley, Rashida Tlaib, Pramila Jayapal, uh, Hank Johnson, Raul, uh, Raul Grijalva here in Arizona. Just ridiculous. Just ridiculous. Um, I remember some... Uh, some years ago, it was about 2002, I guess it was, when uh, there, was an, there was an effort to uh, put a lot of pressure on Israel, uh, especially as we were trying to cobble together the best efforts to um, form a coalition in the war against terrorism after the 9-11 attacks. And uh, there was this weird State Department effort to kind of try and put pressure on the Israeli government and as if Israel were the problem, as if Israel didn't have the same enemies we did. And uh, a bunch of people asked, uh, asked me, I was working with uh, Jack Kemp and Bill Bennett and Gene Kirkpatrick, they asked if we could uh, put together a, uh, a statement on this. And um, it uh, eventuated in a document that still flies around on the internet from time to time, 20 Facts on Israel, authored by uh, Bill Bennett, Jack Kemp, and Jean Kirkpatrick. And uh, just to give you an idea of what an iron woman Jean Kirkpatrick was, I I wrote the first draft of it, and uh, I sent it over to her for approval, and uh, she called me, and I was, she didn't office in our offices, she officed uh, at another place. And uh, I was a little nervous. Uh, Dr. Kirkpatrick was, was um, I, I, you know, I, I, I was just a little nervous. <laughs> you always are nervous when you write a rough draft for someone like that and they call you. You never know what you're going to get. And I said, too strong. And she said, not strong enough. Not strong enough. God bless that lady. Anyway, um, you can get it still on online if you want. Mutatis mutandis, it would need a few little changes here, but not a lot. 
Not a lot. I have uh, I have it in front of me. It starts. It's a history, basically twenty easy facts on Israel that people like Rashida Tlaib either will not ever know or will lie about. Uh, and it starts with the notion that they talk about occupied land and occupied territory. Um, and, and, and they like they love to confuse that language and play games with it. Um, occupied land is not the West Bank. It's all of Israel. All of Israel is occupied. And the proof is really in point two of those 20 facts that we wrote. The Palestinian Liberation Organization, the PLO, was founded in 1964, three years before Israel controlled the West Bank or Gaza. The PLO's declared purpose in 1964 was to eliminate the state of Israel by means of an armed struggle. To this day, the website of Mahmoud Abbas's or Yasser Arafat's Palestinian Authority claims the entire state of Israel is occupied territory. It's impossible to square this with Western assertions to Western audiences that the root of the conflict is Israel's occupation of the West Bank and or Gaza. Gaza was given up by Israel in 2006. In fact, over 90% of the territory gained in the 1967 war was returned to Arabs, either Egypt or the Palestinians in Gaza. But if the West Bank is all they claim to be occupied territory, then it's worth asking, I think, why were... That why was the PLO formed three years before Israel even had the West Bank or Gaza? And I think it's worth asking, too, about the political party that Mahmoud Abbas, the head of the Palestine Authority, the Palestinian Authority, chairs, the Fatah Party. Fatah is Mahmoud Abbas's political party. Go to their website. Look at their official emblem. It's not the West Bank. It's a hand grenade and two rifles over the entire state of Israel. When they talk about occupied territory, again, it's not the West Bank. It's also true, historically, that um, if you care about the sort of things the progressive squad seems to care about, liberal democracy, uh, progressive ideals, uh, individual sovereignties and freedoms, women's rights, women's reproductive rights as they cast them, gay rights. Try talking about that for about two minutes in the Palestinian Authority. Try it. Try it. You can't. In contrast, Israel is the most liberal state in the entire Middle East on all those things. You would think it would be the dreamland of the progressives. You would think. But it isn't. And it's also interesting to think about what side Israel has been on in every conflict the United States has been in on. And whose enemies are the same enemies and whose allies are the same allies. This latest notion that Israel is an apartheid state, this this new label that has been foisted upon the world by the likes of Ilan Omar and Rashida Tlaib is an insult to those who actually lived under apartheid in South Africa. It's an insult. It's an insult. Just like it's an insult to call Republicans or Donald Trump or any Republican leader 
Nazis are worse than Hitler. It's an insult to the memory of those who had to live under the true thing. Israel is no more apartheid than this office is. There is a higher percentage of Arabs in the Israeli Knesset, the Israeli parliament, than there are African Americans in the Congressional Black Caucus in the Congress of the United States of America. There is no state in the Middle East, not one, where Arabs have more rights than in Israel. They have all the same rights in Israel as the Jews. And for those of you that go on these tours that you hear Dennis Prager and Mike Gallagher talking about, if you ever have the chance to do so, I did one. I highly encourage it. But you don't have to go on a tour to see it. You don't have to go on a tour to see the truth. Just do your research. Just do your homework. And look at who sides with who when the chips are down. And who was dancing in the streets on 9-11. And who went on international television and said, today we're all Americans. It's not a hard call. It's really not. Shame on those Democrats from last night. Think about the Biden administration and the economy, the stock market volatility, the possible recession, the failure of the banks. Why refi is offering you an investment in a portfolio with a high fixed rate of return that is not correlated to the stock market or the Fed. It's an investment where you can turn your monthly income on or off. You can compound it, whatever you like, with no loss of principal if you need your money back at any time. There are no fees in this secure collateralized portfolio that delivers a high fixed interest rate up to 10 point. Two five percent. Why Refi is local. I encourage you to stop by their offices on Scottsdale Road in the 101. I've been there. I can tell you, you will not get a sales pitch, and no one's going to ask you to sign anything. When you meet with the team at Why Refi, you'll see why I like and trust them so much, and that you can too. A due diligence approved firm. You can earn up to a 10.25 percent fixed rate of return. Check them out at investyrefi.com. That's invest the letter Y then R E F Y dot com. Or call 888-Y-REFI-34. 888-Y-REFI-34. I'm not going uh, to be in the business, I suppose, of, of, of saying a candidate has to support another candidate. But um, this, this interview in the same race, this interview that Nikki Haley did today on Fox News vis-a-vis the spat, the fight, the legal fight – between Ron DeSantis and the state of Florida and Disney. This interview is going to, I think, have uh, negative repercussions for Nikki Haley. Uh, Let me play it for you and tell you what Inez uh, Stepman said. Issue and that's not productive. Ambassador Haley, I want to um, ask you about what could be another Republican candidate uh, in the field, and that is Ron DeSantis. We just learned a few moments ago that Disney is now suing the Florida governor for alleging uh, an alleging political effort to hurt their business. We've all been watching this back and forth for quite some time. Uh, this is obviously dramatically escalating the feud between Disney and Ron DeSantis. Uh, They're alleging that the Republican governor has waged a, quote, relentless campaign to weaponize government power over the company. What is your reaction to that as we still have yet to see him jump officially into the race? 
You know, as governor, I took a double-digit unemployment state and I turned it into an economic powerhouse. Businesses were my partners because if you take care of your businesses, you take care of your economy, your economy takes care of the people and everyone wins. And so that's the way we dealt with it. We are, South Carolina was a very anti-woke state. It still is. And if Disney would like to move their hundreds of thousands of jobs to South Carolina and bring the billions of dollars with them, I'll let them know. I'll be happy to meet them in South Carolina. Awful. That's just awful, awful, showing no appreciation at all for what Disney is up to and what Disney is all about. You can be against Ron DeSantis in a primary, but the idea that you're going to undercut him on the fight against Disney is to undercut everything. I thought, I thought we were on the right side of finally punching back against this overwhelming elite culture. Awful response. We'll be right back.